you glory. We give you so much honor. Lord, it's so hard to be reminded of what you did for us on the cross because of how we live our lives for you. Sometimes you're on the back burner. You're number 15 on our list of priorities. So many other things become so much more important, but when we think of what you did for us, especially in remembering Good Friday and Easter, how you laid your life down. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us, oh God, for, for the lack of priorities in our life, for pushing you past first into second and third and fifth and tenth. Help us, Lord, to make you a priority in our life every single day. Teach us how to pray without ceasing. Teach us how to love with forgiveness in our heart. Teach us, Lord, how to be the women who use their emotions in a proper way. Help us to become the women that you want us to be. Strong, dependent on you, but independent of the world. Use your word today to challenge us and change us and transform us, Lord. In Jesus' name, all say it. Amen. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Well, it's so good to see all of you from, um, from Tracy, from Pittsburgh, from Fremont. And uh, it's just, it's a joy. Joy to get up early on a Saturday morning. Some of you, what were you going to do? Sleep in? <laughs> see, man, the one day I get to sleep in. And you got to come. But it's a joy to get up to be able to receive what, everything that God has for us. And I know the Hayward Church is excited because tomorrow, or actually tonight at 12, ends our Daniel fast. And, uh, or some of you, you can continue. Not a problem. I know I am. I'm probably just going to. The only thing that I miss, absolutely miss, is fish. I miss fish. So. That's, that's the only thing I think I'll probably get back on my, in my diet because um, I love fish and I miss it. So I'm gonna, that's all I'm going to eat tomorrow is just fish just because I've missed it so much. And also tomorrow marks my personal uh, breaking of my fast. Uh, last time I was here, I shared with you as of January 1st, I went on a shopping fast. And uh, I haven't bought one thing, not one and uh, not makeup, and, I'm, and today I'm looking at my makeup and go, oh my gosh, I hope I can make this last till tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I haven't bought a lipstick, I haven't bought nothing. Now, when I went to women's convention, this is confession, when I went to women's convention, uh, remember on Friday, they said uh, dress down day, where you, you, know, you wear your t-shirt and stuff, and, um, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have any pants. I brought nothing but suits to the convention. I had nothing. So what am I going to wear, a T-shirt with a suit? And I just said, oh, this is just too dumb. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to forgive me because I don't know what to do. I don't have any pants. I can't even borrow pants because all my friends' pants don't fit. And so I was, I was like, oh, I was on a bummer. And I said, okay. So I kept fighting it, fighting it. And then around midnight, um, Thursday night, 
I went to Walmart, me and my daughter and, and Arlene. And, um, and so we went in there and, and I said, okay, I'm only going to go in, buy a pair of jeans in and out. And Arlene goes, I already know you. And I go, no, you don't. I'm on a shopping fast. She goes, no, 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 no. Anyway, she gets in her little car <laughs> and she's, you know, she, Walmart is her favorite store. See, Walmart's not my favorite store. How many of you, Walmart's your favorite store? See, that's not mine. Mine is Target. I like Target. That's my favorite store. So, Target. Yeah, you got to make it exclusive here. <laughs> and so, so I actually went in, and I found a pair of jeans, and I was in, and I was out. And she goes, man, today, what, I'm going to write this down in history today. Because, <laughs> you know, you know how you just walk through, and, oh, there's a little bit. In the, and so, anyway, I just got my jeans. So I was like really, really on a bummer. I go, man, I, I was really upset. Anyway, Friday morning I woke up with, I was sick. I mean, really, really sick. I couldn't talk. I couldn't breathe. And so I had called Sister Julie and told her, you know, I'm, I'm so sick and I want to be there tonight for church. And I, I can't even think because I just get um, head colds really, really bad. And when I came back on Sunday, I was still sick. But so on Friday, I didn't go. And um, so then I saw the jeans there, and I got the receipt, and I gave it to my daughter, and I said, here, I didn't wear them. You could have them. Go exchange them for your size. She's going, yay! <laughs> she was all excited. She, got, she was able to go get a pair of jeans. So I was faithful to my fast, didn't break it. I felt good about that. And, um, you know, it really feels good to be able to commit something to the Lord and and just follow it all the way through. And I think uh, maybe we could have a couple of more households. Just, you know. I mean, when I said fast, I mean, I didn't even. I ran out of garbage bags yesterday. Yesterday. I mean, we're talking. Not, I didn't go anywhere. Uh, and I and like I said, my makeup's going to stretch till tomorrow. It's got, I was just trying to be very, very minimal. <laughs> okay. I know I got to cover the, the house, but, you know. It's gonna, <laughs> But I just got to be minimal here today because tomorrow is the last. So Monday morning, <laughs> I'll be right there because they're closed tomorrow. But anyway, um, God is, he, he's faithful. He's just faithful. He has met all my needs just the day before. He always, always, always meets your needs. So I'm excited about that. And then when we have baptisms at, uh, next Sunday, Fremont's joining us. So they got a lot of uh, baptisms. They haven't done baptisms at all. So. So this is baptism day for Fremont, so it's going to be a joy just to be able to see all the new um, converts come. So make, a, uh, make plans to come out, and, you know, I don't know about you, but baptisms is like an awesome, awesome time where you just, you see these, these who have just committed their lives to Christ just like, yes, you know, and for some of you, you probably need to be rebaptized, okay, because <laughs> you're supposed to leave the old man in the water, not resurrect with her. You know, the old woman is supposed to be there, left in there. And, uh, but anyway, so turn your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, Evangelist Mondo, like uh, Lisa had mentioned, they're coming for next uh, Saturday to the marriage. We're having a regional marriage, and so I want to encourage you all to come. Um, it's going to be held in, in Santa Rosa, but uh, Mondo will be speaking Sunday morning. Next Sunday morning, not next Sunday night. So Sunday morning. So um, it'll be a joy to have him here. 
Okay, and, and also, can you just put your finger there and, and turn to Acts 13? Okay, y'all got it? It's just two books different. Okay, 1 Corinthians 4. Let's, uh, let's read this scripture. 4, 1 through 9. And it says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor we dis nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel to the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. You are the treasure, okay? This treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side. How many of you can say amen right now? Amen. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Turn to Acts 13, 36, and it says, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. When David had served God's purpose for his generation, he fell asleep. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. I want to start, give you a joke. This joke made me laugh, and it kind of circulated around. So if you're part of the email group, you probably heard it. But this is about the church gossip. Mildred, the church gossip and self-appointed monitor of the church's morals, kept sticking her nose in other people's business. We don't have anybody here, so this is Mildred. My husband used to like to use uh, Matilda, so I think I like Mildred. Several members did not approve of her extracurricular activities, but feared her enough to maintain their silence. She made a mistake, however, when she accused George, a new member, of being an alcoholic. She saw his old pickup parked in front of the town's only bar one afternoon, and she emphatically told George and others that everyone seeing it there knew exactly what he was doing. George, a man of few words, stared at her just for a moment and turned and walked away. He didn't explain. He didn't defend. He didn't deny. He said nothing. Later that evening, George quietly parked his pickup in front of Mildred's house, walked home, and left it there all night. You gotta love George. 
It's so easy to assume. So easy to say, oh, yeah, I know exactly what they were doing. And we have no idea. See, we all have choices in our life. Some of them we choose and some of them we don't. But that's what's called life. Our life is a series of things we choose and things we don't, like catching a green light. We didn't choose it, but we'll take it. Or maybe if the light turns red, especially when we're in a hurry. We didn't choose it. We would choose to go through that red light, but we have to make a choice. Do we want to go for the red light, or do we want to get suddenly met on the other side of our car with another car? We don't want to make those choices, but we're faced with choices every single day. Sometimes we get sick and we have very little choice of how we're going to feel. When we were in elementary school, when we were in kindergarten, and when we were growing up, choices were made for us. Our mom used to tell us what to wear. How many of you fought your mom? You didn't want to wear this and you didn't want to wear that. I had, what I, I, I remedied all of that when my children were little. When they were little, because they were, you know, I would pick something and I would say, put this on. No, I don't want to put that on. But I don't want, and they would fight. It was not Esteban, my girls. Uh, they were always fighting about what they didn't want to wear. So I remedied all that when they were very, very young. When they were, uh, they were already walking. Yeah, two years old, they were already walking. So at two years old, I started this. Because, you know, two years old is the beginning of a whole new series of choices and so what I did is I used to put all their outfits together hang them on a hanger and then let them choose because it was all together the blouse was with the pants all they got to pick were their socks now sometimes they would pick red that went with yellow or they would pick orange that went with blue and you know mostly that was Stephanie she's still the same <laughs> still outrageous in her colors, um, but I allowed them the opportunity to make choices because when you, as a mother, make all the choices for your children, you don't give them an opportunity to grow and develop in making their own personal choices. So you help them. You don't make all their choices, you just help them. So I used to hang, for those of you who are grandmothers, do that now and let them make whatever you want because you know it's all gonna be match anyway. Because wh why is it that as mothers, if our children don't dress white, we think we're a bad mother? Why does that happen? We think that other people are thinking, man, she doesn't even know how to dress her kid. <laughs> but we, were, we had choices made for us. We were told what to wear, what time to go to bed. We are told to eat all our vegetables. But there are people today that don't want to make choices. They want other people to make choices for them. They're afraid. And fear grips them. They're not risk takers. And they have all of these fears just holding them down. There's some people who are afraid to fly because they're afraid of dying in a car crash. Now, let me let you know the statistics. The odds of flying on a plane and crashing are 250,000 to one. A person is more likely to be kicked to death by a donkey <laughs> than to die in a plane. 
Another common fear is being shot or being murdered. A person is 500,000 times more likely to die while playing a sport than by being shot by a stranger. What keeps us from our purpose, our goals, our aspirations? Sometimes it's the fear of failure, sometimes it's the fear of embarrassment, or sometimes it's the fear of rejection. There's even a fear of commitment today. There's so many people that we all know who are afraid to commit to marriage. Let's live together. Let's try out the furniture. Let's see how it tests out. Because if we don't like the furniture, we can get out. We'll just walk away, pretend we never were a part of it. That's just air. <laughs> Believe me, I researched it and found it out because I would not be able to stand here right now if that was anything else. <laughs> and they want to just try the furniture out because it's so much easier, non-commitment. But I want to ask you today, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? See, my prayer is that you will find God's purpose for your life. David did. The scripture that we read that says that David fulfilled the purposes of God for his life, and then he died. After he filled, fulfilled the purpose of God, when you desire to be what God wants you to be, you will go to him with your choices and not rely on yourself and not rely on your emotions. Women are so emotional in their decisions. I like this car. I like that house. I like this guy. Total emotional. Total emotions. But they're not saved. It's okay. He'll get there. If you don't go into a relationship with the same values, how, you know, I can only tell you this single from experience, and every married woman in this room will tell you, you think you're going to change him? What's the answer? No. You can't. The more you try to change him, the more stronger they get. And the more they're stronger they get, <coughs> the more stronger you get. You're in trouble. It doesn't work. I don't care who they present themselves to be. They're the most sweetest, nicest, good-looking, hands-down, better than anybody else, hard-working, loving, attention-getting. I don't care. It doesn't matter. If they are not totally surrendered to God, forget about it. I mean, really, just forget about it because you're only asking for pain and heartache. There's enough in marriage. Don't ask for it. Don't go after it. Don't let your emotions dictate to you. This is the one. You let the word of God and let the values of his life dictate to you. See, I have made so many emotional decisions in my life. Sometimes they were small, like buying something and then getting home and not really liking it. See, my problem is, it's not even a problem. Because this has just always been my life. If anybody's ever been shopping with me, I do not try on clothes. Ever. I just look at it. Yeah, this looks like it'll fit. This looks good on me. And I buy it. And some of you have been with me. I don't try on clothes. But 95% of everything I buy fits. 
Don't ask me how. I just have an eye for my body. Not for yours, for mine. <clears throat> well, sometimes I have an eye for other people. We say, ah, that don't fit her. <laughs> she thinks it does, but it really doesn't. <laughs> she needs to look in the back. It don't fit. Uh, I, I know the flaws on my body, and I know what will, uh, what will hide them and what will expose them. And that's what you need to know. You need to know the flaws on your body. What will uh, expose or what will hide? You know, I've, I've gotten very good throughout the years, so uh, I don't do that. But there have been times when I've gone home and I looked at this and, oh, what was possessing me to buy this? I don't even like it, you know. Um, but that's only like 5% of the time, I think. Because at the store, it was an awesome buy, especially because on the, on the store rack, it was 35% off. And so I was like, oh, it's a steal. I got to get it. And then I go home, no. Sometimes I made emotional decisions, like I remember buying a car. Just because it looked nice. Not because the engine was good. Not because the tires were good. Not because of anything. Just because it looked nice. Anybody else? Okay, okay. You guys are all being real quiet, so I know you're in the same boat. We all want to make decisions that are safe and worry-free. There is a saying that says, there are no shortcuts to any place worth going. St. Francis of Assisi said, start by doing what is necessary, then do what's possible, and then suddenly you're doing the impossible. If you've tried to serve God in any way for any length of time, you probably have found yourself discouraged, you found yourself losing focus, you found yourself missing your goal, and you found yourself wondering, where am I going? What am I doing? 1 Corinthians 4.1 that we read says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. In the message, it says this, Since God has so generously let us in on what he is doing, we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. Some of you have run into some hard times at your job. You don't just throw up your hands and say, I'm out of here. You don't. You want to, but you don't. I don't care if you have somebody next to you who's criticizing you. You have you know, somebody who's trying to get your job, somebody else who's trying to put you down and say you didn't do this job, or somebody who said you really did something wrong and you really didn't do it. You don't quit. You go, this is my job. I got to hold on to it. No matter what, I got to hold on. This is it. This is my bread and butter. Then why are we so easy to walk away from Christ? Somebody talked about us. I'm out of here. This girl looked at me cross-sided. I'm out of here. We let the little things get to us. Little things. We lose heart over little stuff. Somebody sat in my seat. Somebody's kid hit my kid. Their baby bit my baby. My son was a biter. If you ever had a biter, I'm, I hear you, I feel you. 
But the, he became a biter because of me. Because I didn't kiss him. I would get ansias because he was so fat. I would bite him. I would just, you know, you not bite him hard, but you know, like ansias where you're just like, when you see a chubby kid, don't you just want to bite him? <laughs> I do. Some of you are thinking, no, that's weird. But how many biters do we have? Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. So I, my son was like past fat. He was what you would call gordo. And, um, and he, he was just like, people would comment on how fat he was. And um, so I, I, would, I would bite him. Just I'd get ansias. And so anyway, I put him in the nursery, and Arlene was taking care of the kids at, on that day. So I had my friend Arlene in there, and then I had my friend's baby, Philip and Cindy LaCruz. You all know Philip and Cindy. Well, Juliet... Um, is about mm, about six months younger than Esteban. And they were in the nursery together. And we didn't have uh, facilities back then. We were renting. And so babies were put on the floor. This was like a long time ago. We just didn't have cribs. We didn't, ha we didn't have anything. This was a long time ago. And so um, Arlene had Juliet over here, and she was trying to entertain the toddlers. And it, it was her job, not mine. I was in church. I was praising God. And, uh, and so after church, uh, Arlene came up to me, and she was like, I don't know what happened. I go, what? She goes, I don't know what happened. And she was like, like fear was on her face. And I what happened? She goes, your son. I go, what happened to my son? She goes, no, not your son, Juliet. And I go, what? Juliet, what happened? He goes, he bit her. And I go, Okay, he goes, no, he really bit her. And I go, what does that mean? She goes, Philip and Cindy took her to the hospital. And I was like panicked. I was like, oh my, we didn't have cell phones back then. Okay, this is pre-cell phone. <laughs> I had no idea how to get a hold of them. I didn't know what hospital they went to. And um, my son had bit her everywhere, all over her face. The thing is, she didn't cry. That's why Arlene, he, Arlene thought, oh, he's kissing her. <laughs> he was biting her. And out of all of the kids of Philip and Cindy, Juliet is the whitest kid. She is white. So she had purple marks all over her face. So... Cindy called me after that evening, and she said, I just want to let you know it's not your fault. And I was like, I'm so sorry, Cindy. I don't know what to tell you. And she goes, don't worry about it. She goes, but I'm not telling anybody what, what your son did uh, because I don't want anybody to get mad at you. She goes, I'll just let you know right now. Philip is mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not mad at you. And I was like, oh, thank you, because we've been friends for so long. And and she says, but I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to keep my daughter home for about a week or two because I don't want anybody to look at her and uh, not like your son. She says, we've been friends for too long, and I'm not going to let this affect our relationship, nor am I going to let anybody take this out on your son. And I thought, what a friend. You know, what if we've been friends for over 35 years, and, and, uh, and that, that was a friend. Now, how easy would it have been? For her to just throw up her hands and say, forget this. Look at my daughter. I got to take her to the hospital. You know, matter of fact, I didn't even pay for the hospital bill. I probably should have, huh? But I didn't have no money. I, 
of it right now. Um, which is, you know, we don't throw up our hands and, and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. What has caused you to get to that point where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore? There's women who didn't come today because they're like, I'm not going to go there. I don't really want that much more. I'm content on a Sunday morning. That's it. Sunday morning, I'm good. Paul says, we have this ministry. What he was referring to is he was talking about the calling that God had given him. He was talking about the purpose that God had in his life. And there's a confusion because we talk about calling. And so many times people are going, calling? I don't have a calling. Your calling is your purpose. What has God called you to do? What purpose has God given you? That's what a calling is. When Paul says, I have a calling, this calling on my life is destiny. That's why David could say he fulfilled his calling. He fulfilled his purpose. And after that, then he died. What a wonderful testimony. I want that on my epitaph. I want to be able to say I fulfilled the purpose that God had for my life. And then I died. Paul had a purpose. His purpose with Christ was focused. But his purpose without Christ was just as focused. He was a man who was obsessed with the mission. His mission was full of hatred and violence and destruction. But when Christ came into his life, he did a 360 degree change and he became a servant and God gave him a ministry of love and reconciliation and service. God gave him a purpose, just like God has given every single one of you a purpose. He's given you a destiny. He's given you a calling. This, when people talk about calling and they preach about callings, you cannot sit here and say, it's not me. You can be 10 years old and be focused on your calling. You can be 80 years old and still be focused on your calling, on your purpose. As long as you have breath, you have a purpose. As long as you have life, you have a purpose. And you got to know what it is and you got to follow it and you got to fulfill it. This is what God has given each and every one of us, a specific calling, a specific ministry, something that only you can do. Maybe you have the same gifts as someone else, but you do it this way. You do something else this way. You know, my daughter is into watching um, cakes, Ace of Cakes. Well, yeah, I watch it only because she absolutely loves it. And... You know what I marvel at? I marvel at the people who do the cakes. The people that do the cakes are people that you would look at and you go, you know what? They're a little bit too weird for me. They've got red hair and green hair and they've got earrings and they've got, you know, they, they don't look like they're worth anything to the corporate world. They don't look like they would be useful in the business aspect. But when you look at the creativity that God has given them and how they're using it, they're fulfilling their purpose of God for their life. They make cakes that you couldn't even imagine. This last, the other day I was watching her, they made a whole stadium cake. They've made animals. They've made uh, uh, just 
wacky stuff. I mean, anything that you could think of, they make a cake out of it. Actual cake with the details. But to look at them, you wouldn't think that they could do anything. But God has gifted them. They're fulfilling their purpose. Everything God has created has a purpose. Everything. Every human being, even every animal has a purpose. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, every animal? Every animal? What about the ant? What is their purpose? I mean, I really would like to find out what the purpose of an ant is. Well, the Bible tells us that they have a purpose. In Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, it reads like this. And I'm going to read it to you from the message. It says, you lazy fool, look at the ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Well, first of all, it tells me I'm supposed to learn from the ant. That's what I'm supposed to do. It says, let it teach you a thing or two a thing or two. Nobody has to tell the ant what to do. All summer it stores up food. At harvest it stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to be lazy around, lazing around and doing nothing? How long before you get out of bed? A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. This is the Bible. I know it sounds real colloquial, real like normal, but that is the word of God. A day off here, a day off there, sit back, take it easy. You know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life. Poverty will be your permanent house guest. And I'm not talking poverty in the material. Poverty in the spiritual. The Bible says, look at the ant. Watch for it and let it teach us a thing or two. So what kind of lessons can the ant teach us? Well, the encyclopedia says that there are more ants than any other insect. More ants. Some of you might say, yeah, they're at my house during the summer. <laughs> How many of you have ever been infested with ants? Ugh, is that the most horriblest thing to be, have your house? You wake up and it's not just one ant. It's not just two ants or three, or 20, or 500. <laughs> they come in the thousands. During the summer and during the rainy season, they hit our house. They hit my house. But if an ant has ever raided your house, you will know they go everywhere. They can wind up inside of your bread. You have that tie on your bread, and they're inside your bread. They could have, you could have a jar of jam with the lid on it and they're in the jam. They can be in your butter with the lid on it, swimming in that little liquid glue. <laughs> Ants can get into a tin box of cookies with the lid on. Ants go everywhere. Some of us might have even eaten some ants and not even known about it because <laughs> they're everywhere. If you go to places like Yosemite, you come in contact with a different kind of ants. Those ants in Yosemite sting. They're called red ants. And if you're not careful and you sit anywhere without looking, you'll find them crawling up your arms and stinging you. So 
You might ask yourself, why is she talking about ants? Because they have a purpose. They have a purpose. The Bible says, look at the ant. Consider their ways. Let them teach you something. So what are some of the lessons? What is the purpose of an ant? What lessons can we learn? Number one, the ant has a determined purpose. They know exactly what they want. We have all seen the determination of an ant. It just doesn't give up. If you ever played with an ant, maybe when you were little, I don't think now, but when you were little, and you see an ant crawling, you put your finger there, or you put your shoe right there, you put your foot there, and you say, okay, let me see what you're going to do now. And an ant just hits your finger, or it hits something, and it just kind of like, oh, okay, and it just goes around it. Have you ever seen that? An ant just, like, it hits an obstacle, and it's like, oh, okay, there's a mountain here. Could be your finger, but it's, your, it's a mountain here. Okay, I'll just go around it. And it just keeps looking, looking, looking until it falls. Oh, okay, here's the entrance. And it just goes all around and it keeps on going. They get rerouted, but it keeps on going. How easily we give up on the purposes of God for our life when things happen. A mountain comes in. Could be as small as a finger, but to us it looks like a mountain. And instead of persevering, we go, ah, throw up our hands, forget about it. I'm out. Obstacles, crises, stuff of life takes place. And we don't ask God to give us the rerouting. We just say, forget it. We throw up our hands and we go back. See, ants don't get discouraged. They find a way to overcome. We have to find a way to overcome life's stumbling blocks because they're going to hit us. Your children are going to be a stumbling block to you. Your spouse may be a stumbling block to you. Your job may be a stumbling block to you. People are going to be stumbling blocks to you. Life, tragedy, crises, all are going to be stumbling blocks. But are you going to hit them and then just say, throw up your hands like the Bible says and just say, ah, I'm going to lose heart. Forget it. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. Or you're going to be like that ant that hits that mountain of a finger. That's how big the obstacle is. And just go around it. Just like the plastic bag, the lid on the jar, the tin of cookies does not cause an ant to give up on its goals and on its purpose. That's how we need to learn how to find our purpose and complete it. Find what God wants you to do. And complete it. The second thing that an ant has, not only is it determined, but it's an opportunist. See, ants are really fun to watch. I don't know if any of you have ever really watched them. I did when I was little. I used to like to watch them. And, and when things block their path, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever gotten sticks and little pencils and, you know, just to kind of like get them to say, okay, what are they going to do? And you put it in their way and then they, oh, this is another way. And they, they, they're opportunists. They take whatever, sticks, leaves, straws, whatever is there, to find and continue on the direction that they were going. Let's just say that they were going in this direction, and oh, they got an obstacle. But then there was a little stick. Oh, okay, I'll just use this little stick because I still got to go in the direction that I'm going. And they continue doing it. They're opportunists. 
They will find their home no matter what. They will find their place of destination no matter what obstacle comes in their way. The ants look for opportunities to be able to get where they need to go. They don't get distracted from their goal. They know that they need to go from where they are, they need to take it back home. They need to take whatever goods they got, they got to take it home. And though they may take the long way, though they may have obstructions, they will use every opportunity to continue to get where they need to go. That's the lesson we need to learn from them. Because there's so many times that we're asked to do something. And we already think, well, I can't do that. I can't do it. And we get defeated before we even start. Imagine if the queen ant sent out all the ants and say, okay, go and bring me a grasshopper. Oh, forget it. That's just too big. I can't do that. And if everybody thinks like that, then what gets done? Nothing. You know, one of the, one of the women that I absolutely love, and, and, I'm, and she's real special to me, and she probably doesn't even know it, is Billy. Because I don't have to tell Billy twice anything. I tell her one time, can you do this? And it's absolutely, I consider it done. It's just done. Because if I ask her to do it, she follows through. Now, I wish I had, I could duplicate that in a whole lot of other women because I'm always having to follow up. Did you do, oh, I forgot. Oh, I got to do that. Oh, did you do, oh, you know what? Um, Pastor, I'm so sorry. Things got in the way, and, but I'll do it right now. And so those are not women who have a purpose. Is there life happens? Yeah. Stuff happens? Yeah. But I'll tell you, I love that quality in her because an aunt doesn't even consider defeat. When I ask her to do something, when I ask her to decorate this, this is a big job. I mean, this is huge for some of you. Just putting up curtains in your house is a big job. Imagine putting them up like this. This is a big job. She didn't even tell me, I don't know if I could do this. I don't, this, this is a big play. I, you know, and she didn't give me the defeat attitude. She took advantage of whatever opportunity was before her, and she said, I'll get it done. And she did. She just did. All she did was bring me swatches. I got to pick whatever color. And... We did it from there. So not only is an ant determined, but an ant is an opportunist. And third, an ant is concerned for others. See, ants are very well known for working together with other ants. There's no Lone Ranger ants. There isn't. If you, ha if you see a Lone Ranger ant, you know that they're lost. Because <laughs> it's almost like when you see a a one little ant, you want to look and say, oh, you poor thing, you're lost. Where, where's your family? Where's your friends? You're roaming around. You don't belong over here. All your friends are over here. So don't you just want to pick them up and bring them over here? Because you know that they're lost. You know they're roaming around and they don't, they're, they're not where they belong. Because we already know how ants are. Ants are team players. Ants work together in the same way as women. How many of us are lone rangers and we're roaming around and people say, ah, oh, just leave her like that because she always wants to roam by herself. She never wants to work with the team. She always wants to do her own thing. She always gets in everybody's face. She's not the most agreeable person. She's always on PMS. She's all, you know, and we all, we have jackets put on us. 
But how sad. We're supposed to be like that ant. These are the lessons we're supposed to learn. We're supposed to be team players. Have you ever watched an ant colony? See, they aren't. An ant colony is not concerned about who's doing what. An ant colony is not concerned about, oh, you're carrying more than I am, or I'm carrying more than you. What are you doing? They're not even concerned about that. Sometimes you see some ants that have more on their back than others. You see some where you're wondering, where is that rice going? <laughs> you see that little thing of rice and that rice is going. <laughs> you ever seen that? I, I trip out. I said, how does that ant carry? That's like double its weight. How does he carry that? So he's going, that little rice thing, kernel is going, and then you see another little ant behind him, and they just got like a dot. <laughs> I mean, it's like, give me a break. You got this one over here is carrying rice, and you carry this one. It's like, it's too heavy. But this one with the rice is not yelling at that ant, saying, you're not even carrying your load. You're, what are you doing? You should be carrying as much as me. Look at all I'm They don't even get into that. Ant colony, ants work Together, They don't even care about who's hanging around with the queen ant. Oh, and then the ants that hang around with the queen ant are not telling, well, guess who I just talked to? Or I just went out to lunch with the queen. Or we went shopping together. Or we went to the show together. Who cares? Who cares? You know, there are no king's ants. They're only queen ants. I have to really research that. Why are there only queen bees and why are there only queen ants? But there are no kings. Lesson to learn there. Remind me somebody to study that. <laughs> it's a good thing to study. But I'll tell you this. Ants are not concerned about who's hanging out and who's not hanging out. What they're concerned about is that everybody is doing what they're supposed to do. They're all finding their purpose, and they're doing what God has called them to do. When God calls you to do something, who cares who's doing what as long as you're doing and you're fulfilling your purpose? See, we, we can learn so much from the ants. They have a purpose. One ant can't move a grasshopper. Not one. Because when that one ant tries, because they want to be able to say, look at what I did, an ant can't do it. So an ant has to be able to say, come on, I need more of you. Come on, everybody together, we could do this. And you get a ball under a grasshopper, and you just see the grasshopper. <laughs> it's going, hey, that's dinner for a whole winter. Come on, let's do it. And they move it together because they're all part of the feast. They're all part of the reward. Who cares who was the one that found it? Who cares who was the one that rallied them together? Who cares? We're all in this together. Ants have goals and ants have purpose. They see the bigger picture. Take your eyes, take your glasses off, and look at the bigger picture here. We got a big job ahead of us. It's not who does what. It's getting the job done. My husband always said that. It doesn't matter who does the job. It just matters that the job gets done. Who cares who found the grasshopper? Who cares? Some of you are going to go out there and you're going to find finances. You're going to find finances for this building. I care that you found it, but all the glory goes to God, not to you who gave you the opportunity. 
Ants have a purpose, but they also, as I said, they see the bigger picture. But they all work together to get along with the other ants in order to accomplish the work. They don't let personalities get in the way. Sometimes as women, we let personalities affect us. Sometimes we just don't, you know, forget the personalities. We just don't even like the way they look. <laughs> we start there. We just look at her and, ah, oh, we don't like them. <laughs> how come we don't like, I don't know. I just don't like her. Look at her. <laughs> she don't know how to dress. Her hair is greasy. She's got halitosis. We have all, you know, their lips are too big, their eyes are too small, their hair is too bleached. We have all the reasons why we don't like people. Isn't that sad that we judge people by our appearance? When underneath, the ants know we're all alike. <laughs> we all look alike on the inside. We all got the same stuff on the inside. But we judge people on the outside. How sad that we let not just looks, but then personalities affect us. We let somebody who's really loud affect us because we're real quiet. So we're, we're the quiet ones and we look at the loud ones and we're like, they should just put a lid on it. <laughs> they should just be quiet already. Why do they want to be the life of the party? Why do they have to be so loud? Why do they, you know, and we're judging them, and then the, the loud ones are looking at the quiet ones, and like, man, why can't they speak up already? <laughs> I, you know, say something. Why do they have to be in the corner all the time? You know, and so we have the vice versa. I was the loud one. My husband was the quiet one. I would look at him and go, would you talk already? Speak up. He always talked to me, but he didn't talk to anybody else. So nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew him. So what had to happen is that as we progressed in our relationship and after we got married, I was still the loud one. I was still the one that everybody knew. He was Josie's husband. And I was Josie. And after about, I think it was like three years, took three years, eventually I became... Steve's wife. I didn't know how to handle that. <laughs> I was comfortable with him being Josie's husband. I didn't know how to be Steve's wife because he began to find his purpose. He began to, to flow in what God had called him to do. And when God put that purpose and goal in his life, all of a sudden he began to shine. And I was like, whoa. I didn't know all that was in there. Wait a minute. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> and then God did a reverse. And then people thought that I was quiet. And he was a loud one. I go, I don't think so. God did a reversal. God did a reversal. Because he allowed me to come under while he shined. And that's what it, it doesn't matter how the job gets done. You just got to let God use your personality. So if you're loud today, uh, from personal experience, make sure that it's not your insecurities that are making you so loud. And those of you who are quiet, make sure that it's not your insecurities that are making you quiet. Because they go both ways. Follow God's purpose for your life.
See the bigger picture. Are you willing to put aside your idiosyncrasies and work together? Are you willing to just put all that stuff aside? You know what? It's not worth it. We're in the nursery together. Let's not work on opposite sides of the room. We're in children's church together. Let's not dog each other through the whole children's church. We're in the kitchen together. Okay, you're a cook, I'm a cook. Let's see if we can merge it together and let's do something good. Instead of saying, well, this is how I do it. Well, I don't put those spices in my food. And we, we get little things and we make them bigger. Can we lock arms and join in the work with the same purpose? See, I would love to have you all establish a goal and a purpose today to give your life totally, totally, 100% and completely to God and to the ministry. In the scripture of 2 Corinthians 4.1 that we read, it says that we have a ministry. You have a ministry inside of you. Ministry means purpose. You have a purpose for your life. A ministry as God intended isn't one that makes us lose heart. A ministry that God intended for us doesn't drag us down. It lifts us up. It doesn't depress us. It motivates us. If you're in a ministry right now, if you're doing something for God and it depresses you and it demotivates you and it makes you discouraged, then you're not in the right place. Get out and find a place where you can be motivated, where you can experience the joy of the Lord. I love what I'm doing. If I didn't love it, I'm not going to do it no more. I will guarantee you that. I will not do something I don't want to do. I'm too old for number one, too old to do something I don't want to do. And number two, when you know what God wants you to do, you can wake up in the morning and say, oh, man, what an opportunity I get to do what God wants me to do. I love what I'm doing. And if you can't wake up like that, then stop doing what you're doing and find out what God wants you to do. Find your purpose. Find your calling. Find your ministry. Find what God wants you to do. Because ministry, I'll tell you, ministry gives us fulfillment. It produces happiness. It produces peace. Because you're no longer focusing on yourself. Now you're focusing on someone else. Each of us have the ability to wander without direction. We've all been there before. But God trusts us enough. He put a valuable treasure inside of us that we need to find out what it is and where he wants us to use it. If you don't have a ministry this morning, you're missing out on God's purpose for your life. You're missing out on what God wants to do in you and through you and by you and with you. You're missing out. You need to know what he wants to do. Some of you, you just come to church and you're there and you're receiving. But where are you giving? There has to be an equal receiving and giving. You have to be able to do both. Because if not, you're just going to get fat. And nobody wants to get fat. But I'm talking fat in the spirit. You're just receiving, receiving, receiving. Sometimes, you know, as I, I shared with my church, that we can be spiritually anorexic. Spiritually anorexic means when you have anorexia, you are so thin. You are bone thin. You know, these bones pop out. There are, you know, some of us haven't seen these bones in a long time, but there are bones right here. And when you're anorexic, these bones stick out. And they're like, I don't know if I could get them out. 
They're there. I can feel them. They're there. But when you look in the mirror, all you see are the rolls. You see all of this. But you're, you've got bones sticking out. But yeah, I know that I have bones here. But look at this fat. And all this is just skin. And you see yourself as fat. Well, when you're spiritually anorexic, you look in the mirror and you see yourself fat, fat in the spirit, fat and doing good things for God, fat and I'm showing up to church, fat and I'm, I'm volunteering for this and fat and this. But if you really looked, you would see that you are anorexic. You're so skinny on the inside. You haven't got nothing. You ain't got nothing. And your actions and your choices show it. They show it because you're going after a guy who doesn't know Christ. They show it because of the choice of movies that you watch. They show it because 20% of Christian, Christian women are into pornography. 20% of women, Christian women, not just women, Christian women. It's showing in your choices. It's showing in the things that you're doing, in the words that you talk, the way you check out other women, the eyes, your eyes say everything. The Bible says that we have put aside secret and shameful ways. Putting it aside, all those secret things that you're doing, all those little texts that you know you're not supposed to be texting, all those phone calls, all those going out, where it's just for Starbucks coffee. We leave it, we quit, we put aside, we don't do things in secret, and we don't do things underhanded. We do things, and what my children will tell you, one of the first scriptures that I ever drummed into my children, and I tried my best to drum it into the, my spiritual children, <laughs> What is it? Whatever you do in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. You think nobody's seeing you at 2 o'clock in the morning? It'll all come out. You don't do things in secret. They're always, always, always going to come out. The Word of God exposes. The Word of God is healing but it exposes. And as a spiritual parent, I, it hurts me. It really does. It hurts me to see so many women who are living a mediocre life. You're not living it the way God wants you. Not living it the way God intended for you to live it. You're living it half-hearted. You're living it in convenience. You're living it and well, you know what? You're thinking, I've got so much more time ahead. I'll, I'll give more of my time when I'm a little bit older. See, that's why, you know, you'll look at me and say, well, you know what, right now you don't have a husband, so that's why you could do what you're doing. No, I do what I'm doing because I love what I'm doing. Not because I don't have a husband. How many women don't have husbands and they're not doing what I'm doing? They're doing other things. They're looking elsewhere. I mean, when you go on TV after 11 o'clock, you're going to get commercial after commercial after commercial of, just call me. <laughs> and it gives you the phone number. 
And I, I trip out on, you know, the way these girls are dressed. They're all dressed like, you know, scantily, and they've got, you know, their jeans are way down here and can't, can't move a, a centimeter. Uh, and everything is like so exposed, and, and they want you to call. It's like, is that gross or what? It, it just, it doesn't make sense to me that, that women who have a purpose for their life would lower themselves to have phone sex, that lower themselves to look at internet pornography, to lower themselves to have a secret relationship at work, or with the grocery guy, or with the gas station guy, or whoever. Life is full of choices. You have a purpose. What are you going to do? with the purpose that God has chosen for you. Some of you are sitting here, you go, I don't know my purpose. I don't know what God has called me to do. I don't know the direction. Well, the direction is heaven. That's the direction. How you're going to get there is individually your purpose. But you're going to do it with other women. You're an aunt. You have a determination. You're an aunt. You have an opportunity. You're an aunt. You're a team player. Focus on what God wants you to do. Know that you have a ministry. And because you have a ministry, you don't throw up your hands and lose heart and walk away. Stand with me this morning. And as every head is bowed and every eye closed, God says we have a purpose. There's a treasure inside each and every one of you. What are you doing with that purpose? What are you doing? Your hands are powerful. Your gifts are valuable. God doesn't throw us aside because of our mistakes or our shortcomings. He uses us just the way we are. could put more skin to your name. 